Today I'm speaking with Professor Alan Lee. Alan Lee is Professor Emeritus of Information Systems at Virginia Commonwealth University. He was a full professor at VCU from 1998 to 2017. He served as Associate Dean at both VCU and McGill University, as Editor-in-Chief of Miss Quarterly and as a Founding Senior Editor of Miss Quarterly Executive. He also served as Paul Pare Professor of Information Systems at McGill University. Associate Professor at the University of Cincinnati and Associate and Assistant Professor at Northeastern University. His research program over more than three decades is involved with identifying basic lessons from the philosophy and history of science and extending them in the information systems discipline to show not only how qualitative research can be done rigorously, but also how quantitative research equally needs to live up to the requirements of science. He has taught doctoral seminars on systems theory, social theory, and qualitative research methods, as well as in undergraduate database courses. He is a fellow of the Association for Information Systems, a member of the Circle of Compadres of the Information Systems Doctoral Students Association, of the KPMG PhD project, and a founder of Chinese American Professors of Information Systems. In 2015, he received the Leo Award for Lifetime Exceptional Achievement in Information Systems from the Association for Information Systems. Today we talk about his experience and work on philosophy information system, how he started, how he progressed, and his contribution to his discourse. And now I bring you Alan Lee. Okay. Welcome, uh, Professor Lee. It's such a pleasure uh, having you on the first podcast of the SIGFIL uh, group. And we have the idea to talk with you about um, your, let's say, um, inspiration and your work uh, that uh, is done in the philosophical aspects of information systems uh, research. And in this direction, I would like to ask you if you can give a little bit historical um, information about you uh, with the focus on when you actually uh, when was your first encounter on uh, on philosophy and how that actually with time uh, uh, emerged in your writings okay well i guess my first encounter my first very serious encounter with philosophy was when i was doing my doctoral dissertation in my doctoral program, my motivating interest was in the uses of scientific knowledge in policy making. And of course, there's a difference between the thinking in the natural and social sciences and the thinking in professional practice. And I wanted to highlight what are those differences. So for a case study, I found a court case involving scientific expert witnesses in a courtroom setting. And this involved communication between scientists as expert witnesses and the lawyers and the judge. And so as for how the scientific expert witnesses were, were reasoning, I relied on the philosophy of science. As for how the lawyers and judges were reasoning, I was relying on the philosophy of law. So in other words, rather than inductively trying to invent or reinvent the logic of science and the logic of law, I turned to two bodies of knowledge which had already documented how such reasoning takes place. The philosophy of science I regarded as providing much documentation 
about how reasoning proceeds in science and the philosophy of law I regarded as providing much documentation as how reasoning proceeds in law. And so for my doctoral dissertation, I talked about how the two types of reasoning interacted and conflicted with each other in a courtroom setting. And so that was my very first um, uh, exposure, serious exposure to philosophy. It wasn't just philosophy of science, it was also philosophy of law. And in, and in having that contrast between them, I, I think has always given me a unique perspective on philosophy of science. This, this was when you raised the perspective uh, of uh, philosophy of science, certain perspective that informs your research. What, what is your opinion? Is this important when you actually write an empirical paper to be philosophically uh, uh, informed? What, what, is the, what was the value for you to, to be in a such, let's say, early stage on, the on doctoral studies, to be informed by this philosophical perspective? How that guided your uh, research? Did it constrain you in which approaches or which uh, perspectives you uh, uh, look on or what type of research you engaged? Can you elaborate on this a little bit? Well, uh, I think the philosophy of science especially the, the philosophy of Karl Popper, whom I know is a very controversial. Yeah. I think it actually liberated, rather than constrained, a lot of my thinking whenever I did empirical research in IS. In doing empirical research in IS, I knew that the validity of my work would ultimately depend on the consequences of it. The, 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 the uh, if you will, the predictions that would follow from my theory. So that actually gave me a great deal of freedom in formulating the theory. I felt that I could go about formulating a theory in any way that I wanted, provided that subsequently the predictions or the observation or the observational consequences that followed it were, were confirmed or corroborated in a Popperian way. So, so that, that was um, how I thought about it. But do you, for example, sometimes people um, link Popperian with more or less uh, rationalist view. In, in your experience, if you aim to test uh, theory through, let's say, falsification of Popperian uh, approaches, do you think that that is a limiting factor when you engage in theory creation? So you, you come up with theoretical propositions. What is your, because sometimes people tend to say theory comes from out, uh, from your intelligence and from creativity, and then you test them with the, uh, with um, Popperian falsifiability and try to reject them or confirm them. But I, I sense that that is not what restrained you in a way, that you, you were free in your research, although some people might say that you followed uh, Perian uh, perspective on as a philosophy of science. What what is your? You know? I well uh, uh, again because the uh, justification of the theory follows in the subsequent step. It gave the first step, the formulation of the theory. It gave for me a great deal of freedom, and now how I could go about formulating the theory. Uh, some people 
think that the theory follows um, in, inductively from your data and that the theory is justified based on how carefully you followed whatever rules of formulating the theory inductively. And, and, but I don't uh, follow, I don't believe in induction as a way of, of justifying a theory. So I'm actually freed in the first step of formulating a theory uh, from any uh, procedures of how to justify it. That comes in the second step. Yeah. So it, it didn't, um, so, so following uh, a Popperian logic, well, well actually let me uh, interrupt myself here. Mm. Rather than saying I'm following a Popperian logic, I see that the logic of following the consequences of a theory at, uh, in the Popperian way, I see that as a special case of pragmatism overall. Yeah. Yeah. And following a pragmatic uh, perspective, um, I, I feel that I am freed in terms of the, the formulation of a the theory. The theory is justified based on its consequences and yeah. so as long as it's subsequently confirmed by its consequences, um, I, I think that I can go ahead and formulate the theory in the way that I want. And what I, and now let's say I completely understand when you say freedom, because actually the Popperian gave you probably a, a section where you apply, uh, let's say, philosophy of science produced by or suggested by Popper in order to test your theory, but you are actually get liberated uh, uh, when you are actually developing uh, the theory. Yes. theory. And this, this is sometimes when me as also as a young scholar, people think that uh, you should position yourself to a certain theory uh, as a philosophy of science or certain approach or certain, let's say, uh, group like you might say rationalist postmodernist pragmatist etc but what i see is that from your experience you, you might uh, correct me is that actually philosophy of science look on the same on the whole process of theorizing in a way from a different stages so you can use different let's say like pragmatism in order to generate uh, uh, a theoretical construction then you can use falsification to test so my question is that if we look like this what will you say to the younger scholars or senior scholars that want to theory is that you should not be determining only one uh, respect philosophical perspective am i getting getting it right uh yes that actually leads me to something else i was thinking about mm -hmm. in preparation for this podcast yeah um rather than think in terms of one or another philosophy of science as a starting point, I have what I think of as I.S. near philosophy and I.S. far philosophy. Yeah. Um, by that I mean, in terms of uh, philosophy, I.S. near would be, I'm motivated first by the empirical and methodological questions that arise in IS research. By IS far philosophy, I mean we're motivated first by philosophy and theory 
of IS. And only subsequently do we look at the empirical ramifications. I much prefer what I call IS near philosophy, in which the methodological and philosophical issues are motivated by the empirical and methodological issues that arise in actual IS research phenomena. So in that case, um, I'm, my, my philosophy, and, and I emphasize it's my philosophy, it actually grows out of the empirical and methodological questions that are current in, in IS. So I don't start out with one or another school of, of philosophy. Yeah, so you, what, what I like, you mentioned the phenomena that, that, that emerges and you say the empirical uh, issues that are current for the IS field. And that, that links nice because I identify, identify you as the main proponent of the socio-technical, let's say, perspective of uh, epistemological, let's say, perspective on how information systems will be researched. And not only one or the second, but the phenomena that is, uh, that is occurring. And there are some other, let's say, uh, different, uh, let's say, uh, approaches, some philosophical or more. But why, why can you, maybe a little bit also historically, explain why you are actually convinced that socio-technical, uh, uh, let's say, perspective on emerging phenomena from these two systems should be, let's say, the core focal point to be researching uh, in information since from a philosophical uh, perspective like historically because somebody will say social uh, uh, mater ma materialism or somebody will say another uh, approach or i don't know uh, post uh, uh, modernism and things like that. so my question is um, can you elaborate how you actually emerged to this position of yours and we have read your papers on justification why is that but i was interested in a little bit on the back how you actually that you matured in your in your or it, it was from the very beginning that you had this position well I, I again i would say it had to do with the testing the consequences of one or another perspective yeah. and do the consequences such as in the form of predictions are they corroborated by by what we experience. So going back many years, when I started out as an information systems scholar, and then when I became editor-in-chief of MIS Quarterly, um, take, let's say um, we take the perspective of a purely technical or technically driven approach to, to IAS, where we are looking primarily at the technology. Is that sufficient? to explain IS phenomena. And I would say in a nutshell, that if we take a technical or technologically driven perspective, that that does not succeed in explaining, for example, IS successes and IS failures, and that we would also have to account therefore for also the social and hence the socio-technical. Um, so in that sense, uh, by approaching phenomena that are what I call IS near, by looking at the phenomena the, the, and, and the methodologies that 
are important to IS research. It generates certain theories, and those theories in turn generate certain consequences. Are, th are those predictions, if I can call them predictions, yeah. are they corroborated by evidence or not? And if they're not, then we need a new perspective. And that's how I moved from a technically driven or technologically driven perspective to a socio-technical perspective. Yeah. yeah. And what I was thinking is like, it, it evolved uh, your, your opinion. And if we want to, let's say, give an advice for other scholars that want to evolve their, or let's say, accept or disregard uh, your perspective or develop their own perspective from the, from the, uh, in their research, what, what do you think is like, when is the right time to start? Because a lot of people now see and uh, what you get the feeling is that philosophy classes are now removed from the doctoral trainings, etc. Well, you were exposed that in your doctoral studies. So what, what do you think? Should we start younger or should we start older informing, when, informing our research from a philosophical uh, perspective? Um, well, I, I think it's even if it's not covered in doctoral courses, and even if one's doctoral supervisor does not emphasize philosophy, yeah. I think that one necessarily has to um, pay attention to the philosophical questions that inevitably arise in doing one's research. Um, I, I, I think about it this way in doing my own research. And I found this to be very helpful in publishing. Uh, first, I think of philosophy as thinking about thinking. I, I, re, I, I, I got this phrase, thinking about thinking, from Quinton in one of the Oxford books on philosophy. Yeah. I don't have the uh, citation yeah. right now. Okay. But in thinking, about thinking, uh, how does that apply to IS philosophy? That, that refers to the thinking of IS researchers. How do I, as an observer, think about the thinking by my research subjects who are IS researchers? So rather than thinking about users and practitioners as, as the um, research subjects, I'm thinking about other IS researchers as the research subjects, and I'm observing them. And I realize that among IS researchers, there's a sociology of the IS research community. There's a social structure of the IS research community. There's a culture of the IS research community. Um, uh, there's a social construction of the IS research community. And in terms of, if I were to give advice to young scholars, how would I publish? I would say, well, given that the, the social structure and the culture of the IS research community, uh, given that, that it currently constrains certain ways of doing research, and given that it also uh, provide certain opportunities for how to do research. Then in terms of my 
buying and selling research, how should I proceed? In other words, I, as a researcher, with my own research interests and my own gifts as a researcher, there are some research products that I want to sell. But my research community, given its sociology, its social structure, and its culture, it's prepared to buy only certain things, or it needs to buy certain things. So what is that overlap between what I can sell and what my research community wants to buy? So that is how I, th I, I think in terms of publishing and in terms of the advice I would give to younger researchers. And do you think if they want to engage, is it, is this a philosophy, is it a sole, let's say, endeavor? Do they should do it alone? Or it's, it's done with uh, other scholars? Or let's say, how, how to include uh, other scholars in uh, your own philosophical thinking? Is it, is this something which you sit and you think over it or is and write it or it's something that you share it and other people come with you co-write it co co let's say clear the the ideas what is your experience in, in a way when you were distilling your philosophical ideas and approaches and applying them to to, to papers and uh, let's say or uh, research um I don't know how to give advice to other people in this, yeah. but speaking for myself, yeah. I am generally driven by my own philosophical ideas. Yeah. But in being driven by my own philosophical ideas, I am mindful that I'm constrained but what, by what my research community will accept. And I'm also constrained by what my research community what I feel that it needs to know and what it needs to do in order to advance. So I would say that my ideas are primarily driven by what I believe, but I am sensitive to what my research community will allow and what it needs. And in terms of do I co-author, um, I find that co-authoring for myself in terms of, of uh, trying to share my philosophical ideas. It's, it's very difficult. I do do it, but the opportunities for it tend to come up um, um, serendipitously. Yeah. So it's actually something that through time you build your own and then you try to express it taking in account the opportunities and limitation of the community let's say positions about this this these aspects yes yeah. yeah and you know i there is always i think that people have um, perception that you should come up with your philosophical position in one paper and in one um, uh, let's say in one piece but I, I, I'm seeing it more as a um, uh, developmental process where you distill your ideas with the time but then the problem is that it might take too much time in distilling and if you had the feeling that your ideas of philosophy were emerging and uh, let's say developing through time how you 
make a decision when to present your ideas, although maybe they need to be extended more and more. How you deal with that? Because philosophy, you know, it's always getting different perspectives. There is, uh, you solve a question, then another question emerges, more maybe deep or more from different perspective. You consult outside literature from the information systems, and then you get something that actually feels interesting or can complement it. But when, what, in, a, in a terms of publications rollouts, in, in terms of publication dissemination or ideas dissemination, what, what, what is your experience? How you make decisions when your ideas, philosophical ideas are sufficiently mature to be shared with others? Um, well, let me give a non-philosophical answer and more of a practical answer. Yeah. Um, given the research constraints imposed on me by the culture and social structure of my research community, in other words, as a professor, although I'm retired now, although I am retired now, let me speak as if I were still an employed professor. Um, I would think of it in terms of a balanced research portfolio. This is similar to a balanced financial portfolio that one maintains for the purpose of retirement. You have some low risk investments, some medium risk investments, and some high risk investments. Um, I think that it is simply in order to survive, one has to uh, write some low risk and medium risk papers expressing yeah. one's philosophy. And in those low risk and medium risk papers, okay, one is not extremely daring. But in any in, uh, research portfolio, there should always be one or two high risk uh, research projects underway. And in those, uh, one can be expressing what one truly feels, okay? And in those, okay, uh, over time, eventually, they will get published. It will take a long time, but that's all right, because in the meantime, the low risk and medium risk papers will, will, will be published. And when you, just for a clarification, when you mean low, low, medium, and high risk, that is from a philosophically informed papers. It's not like you do empirical only testing, but we cover the whole cycle where you develop theorizing or you develop philosophical ideas that you want to publish, uh, to push in the, in the, in the community. Uh, yes, as, a, as an example, in 2015, I published a paper with Manoj Thomas and Richard Baskerville called Going Back to Basics in Design Science, From the Information Technology Artifact to the Information Systems Artifact. It originally uh, started out as a conference paper, and, and we did not necessarily intend it to be high risk. In fact, I would say it was low risk to medium risk. And in being presented at a conference, it, it received some attention. And eventually, um, I, I was asked by an editor at Information Systems Journal yep. to submit it there. And so, so that's what, what I did. 
And so that's how I got a medium risk paper or a low risk paper published. We did not intend it to even necessarily to be published in the first place. We intended just to write it as a conference paper originally, but, but then happily things worked out well for it. So actually it's not necessary that you always start with the high risk and expect that you will make high impact, but you can balance your portfolio. And this is actually, if you only publish low risk and medium risk, you, you have unbalanced portfolio, but also if you publish high risk papers, you also have, un, let's say, unbalanced. And so in this balancing, what, what, what is your, I don't know how to name it, but what is your experience, how to achieve this balance? Um, well, let me say that as a tenured professor, it's a lot easier to achieve this balance because even if the balanced portfolio does not have a good return, you still keep your job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, but also that means that, um, one should not shy away from the high risk, uh, investments. Okay. Yeah. In the, in the research. Yeah. Because even if those don't work out, again, you will still keep your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nice, uh, nice advice. So it's actually be informed by the philosophical thinking, but look at it as a long-term investment that will return when it's actually, let's say, most needed in a way. When you actually want to move forward in a, in a, in let's say, in a career progress. Yeah, I think this is part of being reflective. Instead yeah. of only being philosophical, I'm being reflective on myself and my colleagues yeah. as members of a community that we need to do research on. And we have our own sociology, our own culture, our own social yeah. structure, our, our own uh, constraints and opportunities, our own rules for social life. Yeah. And how do all of these things mediate enable and constrain the philosophy that we can publish. So that, that's how I think about it. Yeah. And my, my idea is that like, somehow we try to look when we do philosophically on the past, in a way, what is happening in the past and uh, how that could inform. But do you think that if we look in the future in a way and information systems is rather dynamic field do you think that we can actually somehow create a stream like philosophy of law philosophy of information systems or this is too ambitious in a way i think whether or not it's too ambitious i think it's required mm -hmm. that we do this um let's look at the past and the present in terms of uh gearing up for what we need to do in the future uh in the past we've seen the following technologies they include transaction processing systems expert systems executive information systems decision support systems database management systems case tools and ERP systems. And in the present, some technologies that we see, that, that we see, they include blockchain, big data, and artificial intelligence. Now, 
have we been developing an individual theory for each technology? Or are we using the emergence of each new technology to refine and update our theory of IS? In other words, are we developing an individual theory for technology? Or are, are we trying to develop a theory of IS that is cumulative? I believe that for the future, what we should be trying to do is the latter. Rather than developing an individual theory for each technology, we should be trying to develop a theory of IS that is cumulative. And this has ramifications, not just for the methodology of the IS research community, but also for the sociology of the IS research community, our own social structure and culture but also the philosophy of the IS research community. Uh, to be honest, I haven't really thought about what all these ramifications are, yeah. but in considering the list of tentative questions that you gave me to look at for this podcast interview, um, I've just been starting to think about these ramifications. But I do believe that these ramifications can constitute a researchable challenge for us in the future, including a philosophical challenge. And what 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 I I like very much in you, I, I, I'm let's say hearing from you is you say it's like, in a way, should we jump from technology to technology and identify how the new technology actually can we use different theories or our own individual theories? But if we reflect on our field and if we look on how our field, let me see, I will just exaggerate your, I was looking, thinking about thinking of my fellow uh, colleagues, information systems researchers. But if we apply that approach and we see, we think about the IS community thinking and through a reflective approach, we might get this, let's say, more accumulative, more broader theories that will not be, let's say, that will be harder to uh, falsify, falsify in a way in more in extensive issues. They will definitely, in certain point, be falsified probably, but or enriched or corroborated. But my idea is that if we take this reflective stand, and from, if we look even from certain philosophy or certain perspective, we might come with a better, let's say, theorizing of information systems field. Yeah. So in that way, it's like, I might say that if we want to make, let's say, philosophy of eyes or theory of eyes or make significant impact that, as I think Baskerville said, is a reference discipline, we should engage in philosophical thinking. Mm -hmm. But I will, I will share a personal uh, moment here about philosophical thinking is I, I had one philosophical paper and one of the on these workshops and one of the senior scholars on the table of the workshops he said hey, this is your paper yeah I said it's my paper well you write papers like this before you die you don't write them now <laughs> and <laughs> and I was just wondering why is that but now when I I talk with you in this podcast I found that Actually, if you want to take high-risk projects, you need to be more appreciative for the sociology, for the customs of the IS uh, community. And, yes. in the, and in this regard, from your experience, 
it doesn't need to be an advice, but from your experience, how you actually do you how you actually make your more risky conversation to be included as a mainstream conversation in these philosophical debates and the, the the identity of the field or the future of the of the field. Could could you repeat that last question, please? So my idea is how how you actually from your experience how you include this more, let's say, risky endeavor, like risky investment in your portfolio, how you proceed to taking in account the existing sociology and the frame and the uh, habits and the context of the communi ICE community, how you push your discussion in the list of discussion of the existing field. So how you make your more risky, push your more risky ideas in the mainstream discussion in the ice field in the ice community in the conferences in the in the paper so it's just how you actually if you can reflect on this how you actually pushed your ideas that we need to be more philosophical which i i, I actually see it as a more risky endeavor that you included in a highly practical field in that in certain point of uh, of time so what is your reflection how we share these more risky ideas with other larger community and avoid blocking doors or something like that? Um, well, let, let me express the following. Um, it's also possible that even if one gets one risky, if it's, it's possible that even if one gets one's risky ideas published, that the ideas either won't have an impact or will still take many years to, to, to get an impact. Now, I, I wrote a paper that was published 10 years ago. I wrote it with Jeff Hubona. It was called A Scientific Basis for Rigor in Information Systems Research. And it was published in MIS Quarterly. And it was, uh, philosophical, and one of the um, main points of the paper, uh, the reviewers wanted me to take it out, but I was able to save the point by including it in the appendix of the paper, was that in statistical research, predictions are always made. For example, in computation of an R-squared, uh, predictions of, of the equation are made. But in statistical research, are these predictions actually tested? So all of these predictions are made, for example, in the computation of an R-squared, but do we ever ask, are these predictions refuted or not? Are they confirmed or not? Are they contradicted or not? And And I said that what we have to do is we have to develop a methodology to test these statistical predictions. And in that paper, in the appendix, uh, my co-author and I, Jeff Hubona, we developed a method for testing these statistical predictions and showing, uh, based on certain criteria, uh, what are the conditions under which we can consider these uh, predictions to be right or wrong. And if enough of the predictions are considered wrong, 
then the underlying theory as represented in the equation that you're trying to fit can be considered wrong. Yeah. And I also said that in, in the paper that this method that we're developing, it can be applied to, pay, to uh, statistical papers that have already been published. Yeah. Now, where has that idea gone, even though this paper has been published in MIS Quarterly? I think that other people um, have read this, and based on my interactions with them, they understand what I'm saying. But do statistical predictions ever get tested? And are underlying theories in these statistical papers, are they ever refuted? And the answer to both questions is no. So even if one gets one high-risk philosophical ideas published, will there be uh, 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 an impact? And, and in this case, the answer is either no or not enough time has passed for these ideas to be, to be taking hold. Yep. I've tried to publish some follow-up papers on this, and sometimes I've been successful and sometimes not. But overall, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying. Yeah. So it's actually, it's not that you only, it's a, it's a barrier to publish it, but it's actually sometimes the community needs to take time to, let's say, use it or not use these high-risk ideas and propositions. So that's right. Yeah. So in a in a in a way, and that is how we are actually aiming with this podcast is to to demonstrate in a, in a way to to share experience with them with uh, scholars that are heavily intervene with the philosophical thinking in their research and presenting philosophical ideas that should enrich uh, uh, the field. But again, it takes time. And sometimes it might take 20 years from your ideas to they get, let's say, a hold in the, uh, in the, in the, in the field. Uh, but, mm -hmm. that is, but that should not be, let's say, the main reason why you don't engage in philosophical. So if, if we start to come to the end of the, of the, of the, of the podcast, it's like, what is, let's say, according to your experience, what is the value that being philosophically informed, let's say, not maybe, but philosophically informed in your research, what, what value did you gain as a scholar? And if, based on that, you need to change something in the past, Will this be less or more philosophical, let's say, reflection in your work? I guess um, if, if I had already had the insights that I have now when I started out, when I was younger, I guess I would have been more active in in trying to, to uh, change things in the social structure and culture 
and sociology of our IS research community. I think as editor-in-chief of MIS Quarterly, I was able to affect some change. I was able, well, by virtue of my having been selected to be editor-in-chief, that helped legitimize qualitative research in information systems, at least in North America. I think outside of North America, it was already le legitimate. I, I, I think that in terms of being more active, um, in, in terms of what I can, what I could have done to, to create a culture and social structure that would be more conducive to philosophical thinking. I think I, I, I would have done more of that if I had, when I was younger, the insights that I have now. So instead of only thinking about thinking, I would have acted on that thinking. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're just causing me to think about these things right now. So these thoughts are even brand new yeah. to myself. Yeah. So it will be to be more action on your thinking or more action on the community thinking? It would, it would be um, both more action in my own thinking and causing the research community to also be more, more proactive. Yes. Um, I, I think that um, I, I was able to affect some things. Not only was I one of a number of people who helped um, propound a qualitative and socio-technical approach. Yeah. Um, as editor-in-chief, I also helped found, I was one of the senior editors who helped found MIS Quarterly Executive. Yeah. Now, if I had only been able to have the foresight to think about something along these lines to do with philosophy too, then I, I would consider my action, okay, to have taken place. But I did not have that thought at the time. Yeah. Okay. And that's, let's say, even surprising for me now that you are actually suggesting that we should be uh, more proactive and more, let's say, demonstrative in our work and our, uh, let's say, um, let's say, tendency to impact and direct the field, although sometimes certain aspects might be more risky, but based on your reflection, that is not a bad strategy to be, to be done, even in earlier stages of career. Taking in account, are you having some work obligation requirements that will might direct you more to do research that is more publishable than actually, uh, how to say, uh, changing the discourse in the, in the, in the field. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think, I, I guess what you're leading me in your questioning to think about is in doing philosophy, it's not enough only to be a researcher and a thinker. One must also be an actor trying to transform our community. I guess a good example of a person 
trying to do this in our research community is Nick Hassan. He is very much a leader uh, in terms of acting for our community. Uh, Nick, Nick is actually, the, let's say, the motor in the brain, more or less, in pushing the philosophy everywhere where he where he appears, and he's in a way inspiration, also for this uh, podcast. And I think that more people should take, let's say, more directive participation in this philosophical discourse and information systems uh, systems field. And this is actually a very nice thought to 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 finish our um, um, first podcast and to see how actually maybe i will invite uh, nick to share his uh, uh, his ideas and his reflections in how to say more philosophical discourse in the information systems and do you but we are coming at the end but do you do you feel that i didn't raise some issue or question that you would like to to reflect and share it with uh, uh, with with us um, something that you would say should be and i don't want to direct you now but what 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 do you think that you should say it and it didn't came set in this uh, in this uh, let's say 45 minutes discussion i i think that um based on the questions you raised and the questions that you gave me before uh, the podcast I, I think that we've covered everything I could possibly want to say in, in a podcast. And I thank you very much for this opportunity. And I'm honored to be the uh, first person asked to do a philosophy podcast for our group. Thank you, Professor Lee. The honor is whole mine. And I'm very thankful that you accepted on a such, let's say, short, quick notice to to participate in this this podcast and i believe that sharing and reflecting on your experience will provide let's say insight to other scholars that want to be more involved in thinking about thinking but also i would say as a summary of this but not also only that but also get actively involved in in the discourse of the future of information systems uh, and be informed from a philosophical perspective on, on that. Mm. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, and you have a nice day too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.